All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket? What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. Can you describe the rocket, sir? Does this mean we're not friends anymore? DJ Nubis. And DJ Neko. Happy Halloween! Halloween! It's coming next Saturday, so a week. Well, I mean, when we release this, it'll be almost Halloween. Midweek, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we're uh, gearing up for Halloween. We're going to carve some pumpkins and. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna save all the pumpkin seeds in a separate bowl so I can roast them. Yeah, she eats them for some reason. It's really good. I roast them, put a little bit of a salt on it. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> yeah, so we usually uh, we used to do occasionally the Halloween special thing where we play like a lot of Halloween songs, but time is kind of limited these days. So during our regular podcast, we'll throw in some. Uh, Halloween theme. Halloweeny stuff out there, especially in a rock block. Got some nice stuff lined up for you. Um, a lot of covers also in this episode. wasn't really by design, but as we opened up with Abyss's doing some Possessed. I also got Oath of Cruelty in here doing some Merciless, and Death Angel doing Queen and Bowie. Uh, a lot of different stuff in there, so it'd be a lot of fun. Some cool topics to get to as well. Some horror related, some not. Uh, some it, it's kind of funny too because. We're going to get into Jean Rollin. Is mm-hmm. that I think it's Jean. I, I, it's probably because he's French. French. But uh, there's a side thing in there with 
discussing him with uh, Bridget Lee, who's also a porn star. Uh, she had some comments that were interesting that she took a lot of heat for that I can kind of defend her in that, but then, like, when it comes to our topic later about the uh, the high school football mm-hmm. team, it's a lot different. So we'll, we'll get into all that as we go along. Got a lot of new music coming your way as well. Um, Neko's Pick of the Week, of course, <laughs> is in there, so we'll have a lot of fun with that. Going to kick off this first block, though, with some brand new stuff from Cinder. It's called Feed Off Me. And here we go. Here we go. I was mad. I just started screaming at him, swearing. My screaming went from angry to scared out of my goddamn mind. Here was this thing, bloody, dirty. And what did you do? Man to man? Man to man. I pissed my pants.
not mistaken, I, I think I could still smell your wife's pussy stink on my gun. Hope it doesn't rust the barrel. Oh, man. Now the stress of the day is really setting in on me. Would you guys happen to know how a guy like me could uh, relieve some tension? Yeah, maybe, I think, I think your wife Wendy, boy, I, looks like she could release some tension. Mr. Where are we going? Little titties. Oh, we're going down the, down the road here. Little titties. She's got a tight little ass. Does she like it when you puke? I mean, is that part of your deal? Or? Where are you taking us? Well, I guess it wouldn't do no harm to tell you none. I see uh, we're going to go dig up some guns I buried out here a couple years ago. Then what? Well, there ain't no what. That's the end of the road. You're not gonna kill us, are you? Well, killing sounds so permanent. You did everything you want, mister. Why not just let us go? We did what you said. Well, you know, first of all, I didn't say anything. And second of all, I'm calling the shots! Consider me fucking Willy fucking Wonka! This is my fucking chocolate factory! You got it! My factory! Oh, Alright, DJ Nimbus. And DJ Neko. Back with you. Little scene there from The Devil's Rejects, Bill Mosley, my favorite scene from that movie, no doubt about it. I, like, I know I've seen this movie, but I forgot, like, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's one of his shining moments in that movie, and, like, he's really kind of, like, my favorite character out of the whole trilogy that uh, Zombie puts up there. Which brings us to the topic of our first topic. That's kind of funny, I just said that. Mm -hmm. I think you're still kind of, like, got your adrenaline up from all that exercising we did earlier. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, um, I came across an uh, article on ScreenRant.com. Basically, uh, the topic was, Rob Zombie Horror Director, is he one of the most unique directors out there? And I, the title probably triggered me a little bit because I... I are, you, are you feeling triggered? Feeling triggered. Uh, there are some films in Zombies catalog I do like. Obviously, Devil's Rejects, 31. Um, I thought his take on Halloween was pretty original. So, from that angle, uh, I really enjoy a lot of that. I do have some issues in terms of like whether or not he's unique. I don't really think he's unique. I think he's very good at nostalgia. His aesthetic with Sleaze and Grindhouse, the kind of vibe that it brings in his films is very good. I uh, wanted to like Lords of Salem's more than it did. Uh, it's a nice plot, good idea, just wasn't as executed as well. Um, obviously, Three from Hell, I think, just it, it, like Sid Haig's passing and everything really hurt that film. Um, as much as I like Richard Brake in 31, he wasn't able to really carry much into the third uh, three from Hell movie. Uh, obviously, Sherry Moon Zombie, who's in all his flicks, just basically, uh, she's done a pretty good job. I, I don't know if I kind of get tired of him always using her. <laughs> um, 
I know that's kind of common with a lot of these directors in horror. They just find... Well, it's not even just directors in horror. You see Christopher Nolan, he uses a lot of the same actors and actresses, too. Tarantino, yeah. same thing, yeah. So, it, it, sometimes it's just you find people... Now, clearly, it's his wife, but you find people that you just like working with, and you can see them yeah, and, crossing over into movies. Yeah, and one thing I appreciate about Zombie is he does bring a lot of... Um, the old horror icons to show up mm-hmm. in his films, which I really like a lot too. We've seen Daniel Harris, D. Wallace, uh, Tony Todd, and, and etc. etc. that you know come up into his films. So from that angle, it's really good. I just I don't find a lot of his movies to be really original. It's it's all based off like similar themes that we've seen before. So I'm not but sure. Do you think he I, has a, a unique take on these themes? Is uh, kind of like I guess where this. I'm sure there's some in there, but I, you know, if you're gonna like crow about Zombie being a unique director, I think he has to have a little more original ideas. Like Della Rejects to me, there's some similar things in there you might see in other like you know bad killer movies, but that seems to be like one of his more unique pieces of work. Um, What's the one that I like? I don't know. There's House of a Thousand Corpses, which is the first one. Is that the one with the? Uh the roadside attraction no that's 31 that's the one yeah i, I do like that one it has malcolm mcdowell and the little nazi midget oh my god that's that's what makes that thing funny i like that movie a lot of people don't like that one but to me the the little comedy bits in there with the the dialogue and whatnot is really good like even and you have to you have to escape the it's like a um well, like an a, an escape room, you right. know, basically, and yeah. each each section has its own thing, which we've seen before. We, you know, I mean, that's what basically Saw is, right? But this, I, you know, I, I get where the director's going because, excuse me, the author is going by saying Rob Zombie is is unique because his whole career is horror. That's where White Zombie got their name. That's like... Every- oh, yeah. he's. You can tell he's totally into it. He's been into horror movies forever. And it's it goes along with his music and everything else. And, you know, we watched a movie last night called Haunt on the Last drive with Joe Bob Briggs. Similar theme again. Uh, people were in a fun house and they're... Roadside traction out in the middle of nowhere. But the one difference is is that Zombie has like this 70s appeal about the way that he directed it. I think that's the thing with Rob Zombie that makes... Because you were saying he throws back to the grindhouse. He gives you like a little bit of nostalgia. He is really trying to uh, make you feel like it's an old horror flick right. instead of... Like you said, um, the movie that we watched last night, they really, it came out in 2019, and they really played on it being 2019. Like, you know, they were... Telephones. Yeah, they had their cell phones and stuff, and I do do like when um, it's really hard to incorporate... um, how like I mean just think about how we we talk to our friends and and you're either messaging them or you're you're text messaging them or you're messaging them on Facebook or Twitter and that's how we all just communicate nowadays it's all like in the palm of our hands and it's really hard to translate that onto a movie right so I like that they were actually trying to you know kind of bring that 21st century technology. Whereas, again, with Rob Zombie, I like that he wants to s- stay true to his, you know, 
older aesthetic. And I, I, I think when you have something, and that's what Rob Zombie is, you know, good at, that's why he sticks to that kind of... And that's why I think sometimes you don't feel like it's super unique, because he's really trying to stick to that older aesthetic. And that's fine. I, you know... We talk about that with bands, too, where you're like, yeah, I am okay with ACDC sounding like ACDC forever because, you exactly, know, you, exactly. you want, if you want to know it's a Rob Zombie film, you're going to know it's a Rob Zombie film. And I think that's part of it. Um, yeah, when a band that's been around for a while, you know, tries to do something that's sort of out of the box, you can give them accolades for thinking outside the box. But the problem is that the music isn't really them. No matter if the band themselves say, oh yeah, we really like making this record. But the thing is, if your fans don't like it, then clearly there's a, you know, it's it, it, just like any kind of director or band. Like, you're not obligated to make something for them. That's not what it's all about because it's your own creativity. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if you're having success doing something, generally it's good not to, to switch it up because... You can still be kind of progressive with your music or your films, yet hold on to the ideals that you like. And in his case, when Zombie does something like 31, he's got like a 1970s feel. Uh, it's still modern horror in terms of when it was made, but it doesn't feel like it when you watch it. Mm -hmm. so. Also has that kind of like... Nowadays, we're able to... Um, when When you're editing movies or shooting movies... It's so, it's so, like, sophisticated. Um, you know in some movies where there's been a lot of airbrushing, so to speak, where you, you know CGI that... Yeah, not, not so much CGI, but there's, like... It's like it's like Instagram or Snapchat. There's filters you can put. Same thing with movies. And, and Rob Zombie, he, he wants to take it and have, like, that old Kodachrome look. Right. To like it has like that goldy tone to his movies where this is kind of funny, but like uh Sex in the City. Everybody kind of made a big joke about Sex in the City when the movies came out because they're like, How much uh how much uh filter are they putting on these like beauty filters? Because the, the the ladies were all getting older and they didn't want to uh look older so there are ways that they can edit things to make it look better or to their artistic style the one thing you were saying too about like like rob zombie with his music or with his his movies he has his own like specific sound and what i always found interesting about devin townsend because he's he is a very progressive artist is when he wants to do something different he just starts a whole new project he's like this is my heavy metal project and this is my progressive project and this is my rock project and this is not even any of that this is more of like an atmospheric project right. and i i respect him a lot for that because that way he can kind of get out all of his like little i, I don't know feelings or whatever well the funny thing about Devin is now like basically he has decided that he's just gonna just do whatever he wants. And that was part of it was when he got out of Strapping Young Lad as far as, like, the contracts and everything. He didn't want... He, did, he wanted the freedom to kind of just do whatever he wanted mm -hmm. to do. Which, when you start producing your own stuff, you have your own label. And he says, can, yeah, he's worked really hard he, he to get where he is. You know, Heavy Debbie merchandise and Heavy Debbie label. And it's... 
his own entire entity. He owns his property, and I, I'm sure he's very pleased with all of that, and that's why he, you know, he is able to do what he wants to do now. Yeah. All right, well, let's get back into some music. I've got some stuff from Horror Pain, Cran Sounds Promotion, and Inverse Records in this next block. We're nice. Kicking it off with Greenwich, Cellar Dweller. Mm.
Looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at 8328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you would find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you. All right, we are back with you, Metal Town Radio. The podcast edition. Episode 87 of the Hordes of Chaos. Oh, next episode will be episode 88, and that's my favorite number. Yeah. So it'll be a special episode. So a few years ago, I got into a French director by the name of Jean Roland. I think that's how we pronounce it, because it is a French name. Right. Uh, the French director who's done a lot of like horror hits like Grapes of Death, Living Dead Girl. Uh, one of my personal favorites is The Iron Rose. And uh, one thing to say about Roland's work is that it's very unique and at times can be experimental and a little bit weird. Like just at times, like it's not like it's not always a good weird. We. Neko and I just watched one of his movies, Night of the Hunter, the other night, mainly because one of his stars that he used in like two or three movies was Bridget Leahy, um, and I'll get to her in a minute, but she was in this film, so decided to have Neko sit down and watch it with me, and we were both kind of like perplexed <laughs> at just how uh, out, of, out of whack that it was. Um, it's not some of the stuff that's in there. I think Neko wasn't aware of is that uh, Roland used a lot of sexuality and fetishism within his movies. So uh, sex was always kind of like at the forefront in terms of like you know nude bodies and. And I'm not a prude by nah, any means, nah. but like the problem was there was like no plot. Yeah, it's like you would think. In areas that you would have character development or something, it was like over replaced with like just long, over long sex scenes that were really. Not it was needed. like a soft core porn. Right. Uh, but this is something that Roland had done quite a, for a long time now. Whereas like The Iron Rose, where you had some of those elements, uh, you had a lot more atmosphere and everything else going for it that wasn't available in this film for whatever reason. Now. When it came to Bridget Leahy, who appeared in a few of these, I I guess at first I didn't notice it was her until I looked it up and just verified because I did recognize her uh, watching Grapes of Death for the second time. and uh, She was a, a porn star from like 76 to 80, I believe, and actually one of... She appeared in one of John Rowland's softcore porn flicks or whatever it was he did at the end but he thought that she was a good enough actress to put her into his horror mainstream stuff and what she did um she went on though to become like sort of like a, a radio host who 
talked about sex and stuff like that. So she had like a, a, a Dr. Ruth sex. Right, yeah. Uh, was, that's sort of basically where she went. I'm so sorry, people. I'm, I'm like sneezing like crazy out of nowhere. She's dying. I am. She'll have to get a, a pill at break. I'm gonna have, yeah, I'm going to have to go get a Zyrtec. Um, but I, I read a little bit about what she'd been doing recently and apparently a few years ago there was like the whole Me Too movement that started up. Uh, she, there was her and like 99 other women who signed some sort of uh, letter or something that was kind of pushing back on the Me Too movement. I'm not sure what their agenda was or the goal. But... Um, she had made some comments that I think, even though Neko has some uh, debate with it, which is good because it, you know, it brings another perspective. But well, the problem is she made a claim one can enjoy during a rape. I have to inform you, and the problem with that is a lot of times women have an orgasm when they're raped just because they're getting penetrated like which i should say bridget did clear up after the fact you know this is part of the problem with the media is like you if you say something wrong or it doesn't come out the way you want it you're gonna get plastered and blasted on social media and also bridget is french and english is her second language so and i'm not knocking her because I, I speak one language she speaks two and i i don't think she meant it as one can enjoy being raped i think she was just saying your body will react to the rape yeah she basically said what i meant to say because i know matters of sexuality by heart is that sometimes the body and the mind do not coincide and that's i think that's what she was getting at is that in the process of being raped and the trauma that can be there, that your body can be doing something totally different than what your mind is. So as traumatic as it is, the body's not really treating it as, oh, I'm being raped. Because it's actually just reacting to the feeling of have some dude inside you. Exactly. Um, and I was talking with Nick a little bit about how, you know, I can kind of understand where she's coming from with that because as a teenager and a young man just learning about myself, like, I couldn't always control when I'd get an erection. Like, it's it's sort of that thing that we always joke about when it comes to young boys in school and everything where we can't keep our penises in check, you know? Like, it just happens. So, I, I've, never, not, I've never told her or anybody else's story, oh, but no. uh, I was probably about 12 or 13. Just learning about your body. I was at the pool, and a couple of cute girls walked by, and it was when I first started noticing girls in a whole different way. And, yeah, got an erection. Now, I obviously tried to dump myself into the pool so no one could see, but I guess at some moment when I was out there, uh, the girls would walk by, and I can hear them going, boing! You know? Aww. Yeah, so it's kind of, from, from that angle for me, it's kind of, it hurts because, you know, I'm not trying to be like that or I'm not trying to uh, have a reaction like that, but that happens. And, you know, we talked about the guy that, I don't he know. He has persistent genital arousal disorder. Right. And he he can't even control himself getting an erection plus the orgasm. Like, that, it's something that's Like, serious. just walking sometimes. And he's, he's like, it's painful. Right. So, 
uh, I don't think Bridget meant that people enjoy being raped. But she has to be careful with what she says because right. for a long time, the men's like defense about raping a woman was, oh, she wasn't raped because she orgasmed during the the encounter. So they're like, she couldn't possibly have been raped. That's one of the big problems, um, and that was a defense for a very long time, like, if you took it to court. And I think it's the timing, because with Me Too coming out and women trying to, to push back on these men who, like Harvey Weinstein, that are abusing their power and mm-hmm. whatnot, uh, you know, to come out, I get it, because I get it in some sense that... I've talked about with Nelka before that Me Too, you know, there's this, like, overreaction to everything. Like, you get the general gist of what they're trying to accomplish, but then there's, like, this overboard. And I think that's what these women were trying to push back on, but you have to be careful, as she said, about how you lay it out. Because once you start using terminology, like, uh, women have an orgasm, like, that's going to be frowned upon pretty heavily. So, and of course... Me too is going to push back saying, you know, this is not the time to be making these kind of statements. So I'm, I'm assuming that's part of what this battle of uh, wills has come to. And But I think, I do think that Bridget, you know, she she apparently was a host for quite a few years talking about, as you said, like the Dr. Root type thing. So mm-hmm. I don't really think she came out trying to offend anyone or make it seem like women do actually enjoy being raped. It's just that she was kind of pointing out about the differences between your body and re- how it reacts as opposed to uh, your mind. So, I think I think you're right. I really don't think she wants to say people are in- enjoying being raped at all because I, I don't think anybody enjoys being raped. But again, you have to be careful because I, I'm talking years up until like the 90s, there have been, you know, men's defense of saying, hey, you're, you're not being raped if you're having an orgasm. You're enjoying it. You're participating, et cetera, Which is all et cetera. Bullshit, yeah, right? it is bullshit. But yeah, uh, so that was interesting. And of course, you know, John Rowland, who passed away in 2010, he has some unique works. Um, it is overly sexualized at times. Um, it's very incoherent as far as like his plots. Like, I went back and started watching The Living Dead Girl, and it starts out just, like, you know, out of nowhere, basically, so... Well, that was, like, this, uh, the, um, the Night of what? What was it called? Night of the Hunted. Yeah, the Night of the Hunted. Like, it makes no sense. Yeah, I don't think they even actually explained what the deal was to, like, midway through the movie. Not even midway. It was the very end. They're like, yeah, they were in an environmental accident. Right. Okay, and their minds—they're—it's just deteriorating. But like at the very beginning, she's running out in her nightgown. She says, "Help me, help me!" And then she's like, "I don't remember anything ever, and I'm not gonna remember you." Let's. And the guy's like, "I'm just gonna fuck you." And then she's like, "I'll never forget you. I'll never forget." And then he goes to work. Yeah, she goes. He goes to work, and then they come and find her, and. It's like, and then out of nowhere, she remembers his phone number at the end and calls him like. Oh, it's so dumb. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's not one of his better works, for sure. Sorry. That's okay. Uh, I wasn't that pleased with that particular film, either, so we both agreement on that. <laughs> All right. Kicking off our next block, brand new Benediction. This is called Embrace to Kill.
to the hordes of chaos only on Metal Tab Radio. Pump it. Alright, DJ Neko. DJ Nibis. Back with you. Getting ready to get into our rock block. The rock block. Got some good stuff coming up for you. A little bit of Killing Joke, Fast Way, Arrow featuring Amy Osborne. I played this a while back. I still love that song a lot. Okay. A little bit to talk about when we're done with the rock club with her. Uh, Bull Ring provided by Atomic Stuff. Death Angel doing some Bowie and Queen. And of course, Neko's Pick of the Week. So it should be a good lineup. It sounds like a good rock block lineup. So let's get moving. Bull ring, nothing except yourself. Here we go. Through the flames that burn your 
splits a family in two, puts people on streets.
life in the fast lane? Do you have the need for speed? Well, if you're a racing fan and want to be part of a winning team, then contact Carmichael Racing. Carmichael Racing is currently looking for sponsors for the upcoming champion flat card season. You could be a part of a long tradition of racing as Paul and Rhea L. race to the finish line in Mardella Speedway at Diamond Head Arena in Dillsburg, PA, March 13th through the 15th, 2020. They will also be racing at Hunterstown Speedway and Capital City Speedway in Ashland, Virginia. Racing runs deep in the blood at Carmichael Racing, and they are looking to gain sponsors for a new upcoming season. If interested, you can contact them at 443-202-3016. That's 443-202-3016. You can also find them on Facebook at SRChamp36. Carmichael Racing. Together you can soar as the engines roar.
almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon. And remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it. And don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. Happy Halloween 3, which, you know, we talked a little bit about it earlier. Joe Bob Briggs kind of hinted to his Halloween hideaway or hootenanny, whatever he was doing last night, that there was going to be, like, druids or something. But, you know, if I had known a little more of the backstory about Joe Bob and how he felt about Halloween 3, I would have never guessed that he would have played it. I kept saying to myself, yeah, he's got to play it. (laughs) Sounds exactly like something that Halloween 3 would be. Mm Mm-hmm. But apparently, he uh, when he was doing his show back in the 90s, he re- reviewed it and didn't really like it all that much. So, we didn't get that. We got uh, Haunt from 2019. We talked a little bit about that. And then um, Hack-O-Lantern. And that was bad. bad. <laughs> now, granted, after the, the goodness about Joe Bob Riggs and The Last Drive-In, it's just watching their commentary and their skits and everything with Darcy and whatnot. So that's part of the fun. It was a lot of fun watching, but uh, that wasn't really... The second movie really wasn't something that we wanted to... Well, it was funny because he said that the director was Indian Mm -hmm. and he didn't speak English at all. So he's directing an English-speaking movie and not quite, I guess, understanding everything that's going on. And they were saying, like, oh. But he, under- he understood enough to have the stripper scene done three times. <laughs> yeah, he had a stripper at a Halloween party. Yeah. Mm. That shit's funny. Um, so we're getting to Neko's pick, and we talked a little bit about Rob Zombie earlier in the show, and how fitting that he has a, a song here in Neko's pick. We, we kind of, she was kind of going somewhere else, but I thought this might be a little bit better suited for what's going on with Halloween and whatnot. That's, that's why I actually picked um, a Rob Zombie, well, White Zombie song, um, because I'm like, to me, that's Halloween to me, because Rob Zombie, mm-hmm. awesome, you know, director, and we're, he's horror man kind of guy. So... We, I was thinking of um, uh, Thunderkiss, and then Anubis is like, how about you change it to I'm Your Boogeyman, which I actually love this song by Casey and the Sunshine Band. I love the 70s. I love disco, and you probably would never think a you metal really person. You can't go wrong with Zombie when it comes to his music. Um, this is an awesome uh, video, too. If you, yeah, if you ever remember, though, when he did uh, Never Gonna Stop, um, mm-hmm. He did the whole clockwork orange thing, which was really cool. Um, so, he, 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 like we said, he has a big love for horror films. He's a director now. And this and he did, this was Jim Carrey, wasn't it? Yeah. And it was, and it He's was not his, even credited in it. Uh-uh. Right? And I don't think that Carrey's ever come out and said that he actually did the video, but it's, it's fucking spot on him. Like, the guy acting as the bad professor, the, the speech at the beginning, <laughs> you know, that's all him. You can tell it's Carrey, but... I don't think there's ever been any, like, written documentation that he was in it. Because even I've gone and looked at the credits for the video, and he's not even mentioned, but I know it's fucking him. Well, I mean, back in the early 90s, Jim Carrey has come out and said that he's 
a metal fan. You know, remember? Well, in I think I think Ace Ventura. Yeah, but I think that some of that I, I have to recheck that because I think. He's come out and said that's really not true, but I don't know. No, he literally was on a talk show. Well, he was on Arsenio Hall. Yeah, and he was talking. But he was kind of making fun of it, but I think some people alluded to the fact that he might be a metal fan, but I think recently he's come out and said that he really isn't that big of a metal fan. Well, he's gotten weird, so that's why I'm... (laughs) Yeah, maybe Maybe back in the 90s he, he was, but he was talking about Napalm Death, and he was... Well, he was making fun of Napalm Death. No, he was actually saying he was a fan of Napalm Death. Well, I think he's making fun of it. Well, he makes fun of everything. I mean, he made his asshole talk in Ace Ventura. He he called Napalm Death thrash. That was funny. Anyway. But obviously, Cannibal Corbett was in Ace Ventura, so he has a nice little scene in there, which is funny. And he did get up on stage and goof off with the band a little bit, so there's that. Uh, so yeah, so we're going to be playing some White Zombie, I'm Your Boogeyman, and if you've ever seen the video, I, don't, I think Sherry might be in it, maybe not, she's not the one playing the witch, I don't think, or whatever in it, but, um, nevertheless, good video, uh, good song, good cover, um, I remember they put this on the Crow 2 soundtrack, um, City of Angels, is that the name of it? I can't remember. I really didn't... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But actually, just side thing, Hole has a good Fleetwood Mac cover on it. Gold Dust Woman is really good on there, too. So, a lot of good covers. Uh, So, okay. Why why this one? I told you, because it's Halloween. It's Halloween. It's Halloween. All right, let's get moving. Neko's Pick of the Week. Zombie, I'm your boogeyman. I'm your boogeyman. Audio jump. Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. In a moment, we will bring you on a journey. Like there's no tomorrow. And we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. DJ Neko's pick of the week.
Close down on Rock Block. Arrow shared something with the knight. What'd you think? I'm sorry. Uh, I saw a recent interview with her on some guy's show, but of course they're doing through Zoom or whatever. And mm -hmm. She seems like a very down-to-earth girl. Like It's still kind of surprising that she was so young when she decided to say, Nope, not doing the Osbournes. I don't want to be filmed and all well, that. Well, she was from Ozzy's first marriage. So I, I have a feeling that's part of it, too. She, you don't think she felt like a, a full part of the family there? Well, the way she describes things is that she just she doesn't like a lot of attention as it is. Now, I always 
kind of take those kind of things with a grain of salt because it's like it's like Emma Watson when she says that she's not really into the whole limelight thing, but you're you're in an industry where you're gonna be in the limelight. Yeah, and then she always like uses her fame for whatever her right. purpose or so, whatever is. Like I, I get that they want to be successful in their respective industries, but if well, you I mean, don't the, want fame, don't do these things. Like it's really that easy. Well, part of the other thing is the Osbournes was like a goddamn fucking clusterfuck. <laughs> I mean, like. Honestly, even Kelly has come out and said, like, it was really hard doing that because that was, like, during the time when um, Ozzy's alcoholism was, like, peak. And, you know, Ozzy's always struggled with substance abuse. So, you know, maybe in the 80s and 90s it was drugs. And then maybe he got clean for a while and then it turned into alcoholism in the early 2000s. And... Like, Kelly Osbourne was like, you know, you look at my dad and you watch him being all, like, stupid and you think, oh, he's just fried from years of drug abuse, but he was, like, you know, a fall, yeah, a falling down drunk the entire time during that show. And it could have been part of that, too, that, you know, Amy didn't want to be associated with something like that. Yeah, well, yeah, and, and the thing is, like, she talked about when it came to her own creative mind and the music... She didn't want to use that stardom as a platform to do what she was doing. She wanted to kind of do it on her own, mm-hmm. which is highly respectable. One other question the guy was asking was, like, how, what it was like for her when it came to, like, other prominent figures in her life. Because Ozzy's always very popular, and there's, like, Tony Iommi from Sabbath and all these other musicians. And mm-hmm. she's like, to be honest, like... It, it's not it's not like that for me when it is compared to say a fan because like these were people that were involved in my life when I was very young so they're like my dad's friends so I just saw them as normal people I didn't mm-hmm. see them as rock stars because you don't yeah you don't like really have that context you just right. these are people that come over the house all the time to hang out with my dad right. so like birthday parties and mm-hmm. all so it's just like oh yeah okay Tony's here you know, so interesting things about her. Uh, I, I did see something like I'm really interested to hear how the rest of the album's coming out. But uh, according to her, she's feels that releasing singles separately works better. I don't know if that's true or not, but she says just the way that technology is now and the way that things work, she doesn't really feel like albums and cds are the way to go it's like it's true though because people don't purchase albums people purchase individual songs right you know especially now it's all like you on your phone you click you download or people spotify is big right now especially with people younger than us i um you know i work with a lot of people who have spotify um yeah they buy like the spotify premium so they're not even really buying songs they're buying access to songs right so that they can and then you make like playlists i mean there's podcasts and stuff on there too um but they'll you know oh this is my california summer you know playlist and this is my oh i feel melancholy playlist and i mean especially because i work with a lot of people who are much younger than me um like 20 years younger than me some of them um are close to it and like um spotify is like the new hotness right now and so you know back in the day the idea was you had to have a complete album 
with artwork and you had to promote it and nowadays it's not so much about getting an entire album out there it's about like getting some getting noticed so you need like one good yeah that, that's where she was talking about. i was like okay well you release a song here and then say three months from now release another one it stays fresh for people mm -hmm. so it's an interesting approach to her music which is kind of cool uh now speaking of our little intro for unsolved mysteries there we talked about unsolved mysteries season one like a few episodes back now we're on season two I'm not sure if... I think we both kind of felt the same way. This one wasn't quite as strong as the first season. Yeah, there was a couple of them that... So, basically, the... the It was another set of six episodes. You have Washington Insider Murder, Death in Oslo, Death Row Fugitive, Tsunami Spirits, Lady in the Lake, and Stolen Kids. Yeah. It started off strong. The Washington Insider Murder was about an actual political figure who, um... Ended up in a dump. Yeah. So, we were... We uh, we were kind of joking about this. Like, yeah, Hillary killed him. Yeah. So, this is, uh... She suicided him. This is John P. Wheeler III. And, um, he ended up in a Delaware landfill in 2010. He had a, a beach house in Delaware. And he also lived in New York. And... It was strong. Like, it was a very strong opening episode. Something I didn't even remember. And he, Me either, honestly. He was, um, he worked as a consultant to a government contractor. He was a presidential aide to Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush. He was, he held numerous positions in the United States military and the government. He also was, um working for the SEC and that's kind of like this the where the joke started with us like yeah Hillary, Hillary had him killed huh <laughs> but there is kind of some like conspiracy theorists who have have well yeah there's a lot of unexplained things mm -hmm. you know um what is it they say it was bipolar and so like yeah he was bipolar too and um he, they had video footage of him late at night like he just seems disoriented and not really sure where he is how to get out of where he is and well he he always had carried around his briefcase mm -hmm. and his briefcase was never recovered and he his phone was lost and it was found across the street at a home um had smoke bombs yeah there were smoke bombs the night before and basically what they have deduced happened was they said it, it's possible that he climbed into or somebody dumped him into a dumpster. a dumpster and he was found at a landfill in Delaware. And they were able to figure out approximately when it was and what, which specific, you know, uh, trash truck came to get which dumpster, et cetera, et cetera. So they started trying to piece together, like, how did he end up all the way down here when he lives 30 minutes that way? And how come he was like walking around um the basement of this place for so long yeah there, there's a few interesting episodes the death in oslo is another one the, the woman that committed suicide or apparently in, the, in a hotel room she virtually has like no background like they used an alias yeah she's like almost no like a ID. spy uh very uh cloak and dagger type stuff there with that then you have 
the lady in the lake, which is another weird thing because... They keep saying she, she committed suicide, but the cops then, say that she walked into a frozen river to commit suicide, but she ended up like 30 miles down the road and uh, or down the river. And then like, you know, with the way the, the there was like no currents or anything else, so it's almost impossible for her to actually do that. So there's some interesting episodes in there. Then there's some other ones that were more like just informative stuff. They weren't really mysteries to Neko and I, and they just kind of fell flat. Well, see, I kind of liked, after it was like the Washington Insider murder, Death in Oslo, and Lady in the Lake, the Death Row fugitive was interesting because he was a fugitive on the run, and he had been able to abate the police for so long, um, and after he had been convicted of killing that that little girl, and then, you know, because of yeah, that, that was really weird because they had like he a was on like a work release, and then they. I'm sure they don't do that anymore. <laughs> they do, but not for um, maximum security type people. Like he was on work release, and the um, the guards are like, yeah, just you just need to be back by. I don't care what you do, just be back by X Y Z time. And he wasn't back. Like, and he ended up you know, all over the country. They actually think he might still be alive. And, um... <laughs> and, uh... So that one was not too bad. But then when we get to Tsunami Spirits, and maybe it's just because I... Yeah, that one's weird. Boring. That one and the child abductions. Those were both, like, kind of, like, just more informative. Yeah, it was... The Tsunami Spirits was really boring. Like... You hate to say that because there was a lot of people that died, but oh, th that was that big tsunami in two thousand. I mean, they were basically presented as like a ghost story, but the reality is like there wasn't any kind of like weird footage or anything that you would normally get with something of that nature. So, as sad as it was, like it was just more of an informative thing and how they felt about um, their culture there regarding the deaths of people in the tsunami and. Stuff like that. You had witness accounts and just... And they had a lot of footage of the actual tsunami, yeah. too. And, I mean, it came and it, there was a lot of death in that um, northern Japanese, like... Uh, what would it, Are they provinces in Japan or just like... It was, it was like that Roses whole section, yeah. yeah. And I think the... I think the... It's, it's actually... It's not, to me, like, an unsolved mystery, but it, it is kind of sad, but it just wasn't, like, super interesting, and it was, like, an hour Well, I think that's plus. the thing, like, it, it wasn't meant to be, like, an unsolved mystery. It's more of, like, whenever you remember the old unsolved mystery shows, uh, whenever they would approach these, like, ghost stories, it was always more, like, still kind of, like, very creepy... And how they presented it. This wasn't that kind of thing. It was just more or It less, was sad. Right. It was just very depressing. And then we're showing you, like, parts of the um, the town where they've just never rebuilt because everything was destroyed so badly that they just kind of leveled the town. And like in some sections, they're still rebuilding. Mm -hmm. It's like... And this is almost ten years later. Like, they were talking about the ghosts are walking around because they're lost they don't realize that they're gone, and... Yeah, they're taking taxi rides or whatever, and the taxi yeah, drivers... Yeah, maybe we actually like this one a little bit more than we thought we did, because we're really, like... Well, I just... 
it's fine as a story. I just don't think it's... You don't think it fits with Unsolved Mysteries? Right. Like, we know, as you said, we know that a tsunami hit and what happened. Um, and they, they really interviewed a couple of the... Um, it's not the same thing like Ghost Hunters. You know, you go into Ghost Hunters, you know that you're going to get some, like, footage of something. Mm-hmm. Uh, this had nothing to support any of the claims. It was just reenactments with like mm-hmm. actors. Yeah, but they were the uh, the one guy who found his his kid daughter and his wife and all like he. Well, was, that but that was a sad. Story. That's what I mean. Like he, he he's like this is where my daughter was. She was up in that tree and it just looked like she was sleeping there. And you know, it, it's just it's not unsolved mysteries because it, it is. Tsunami, that is not unsolved, but maybe if they would have taken a more, like, haunting type... Well, that's what I thought they would probably do, and in the past, they've kind of done that. But this was more, like, a respect for the dead. Like, they were telling stories about people who came to their their front doors, and they were, like, um, shivering and needed fresh clothes, and people would be like, here, here's clothes, and then it turns out it's a ghost or something. So it was... Stuff like that. It's not like, you know... But they're not, like, trying to scare... Like, that was the least scary or least odd unsolved mysteries. It was, like... It was very, like, respectful of the dead, which is good. It was so... But the Stolen Kids one... Apparently, there is, like, a huge underground, like, adoption or... And I always joke because Anubis is is adopted, and he was adopted in in nineteen. She literally started thinking, "Oh yeah, this must have happened to you." (laughs) Well, I mean, I know back in the seventies, like records are not, I guess, quite as preserved. Like vital records nowadays are like it's all in computers, and it's yeah, it's it's all like scanned and like on his birth certificate it says his adopted parents not his birth parents or it doesn't say like redacted it says his his adopted parents and that's not usually how it goes and i think because he you know his parents weren't didn't lie to him and they told him he was adopted when he got older but like they told him it was it was a teenage girl and his parents probably knew somebody who could get them a kid and when they got the birth certificate I already had their name on it like that was what i found interesting about anubis's past and and this a lot of these stories took place in new york city back in the 70s and 80s again this is before the digitizing of records and kids are just getting you know scooped up and now, then i did have the one the one girl she actually found her mom by accident because she was pregnant herself and I forgot, in order to... Well, she had her birth certificate, and she was trying to get um, health insurance. Mm-hmm. And when she was submitting her birth certificate, they're like, this is this is a forgery. This There's, is not you. It's not, no, he's like, it's wrong. This mm-hmm. is not even a real birth certificate. So they started digging, and apparently when she was a baby, her birth mother actually took her to the hospital, handed her over to what she thought was a nurse... Yeah, but it was it was, it was somebody else who stole her and and raised her as her own child. Yeah. So that woman clearly, when they figured it all out, she got in trouble, and then um, she was able to be reunited by her birth parents. And nowadays, with all this like DNA, like my ancestry, my DNA, twenty three and me, all of that stuff, 
I think a lot of people we've we've seen this with with crime. We've seen this how like they've been able to because there's like close familial matches when they like run DNA through and when trust me people when you submit that DNA you're submitting it and everybody has access to it the government the police etc so they'll run something and hit against that and it may not be you but they'll be like wait a minute this is a partial match to your DNA who's your dad who's your uncle and that's how they've been solving some crimes recently it's very interesting and that's what unsolved mysteries is all about really for the most part like it's about finding answers to these crimes and i know that the makers of the show they pick the ones that they like the most um in terms of like choosing whatever they want to put out there so you're kind of at the mercy of what they want that to be and some of it's good uh, you know, it's fine. I mean, they're only like six. It's always episodes, been six. Yeah. The Lady in the Lake was was kind of like a puzzling one to me too because there's like this feuding and warring going between in the family, the family yeah. and then her, the Lady in the Lake, her parents were immigrants and they made all this money through running a liquor store? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> and there's like. There's been her brother has admitted that he's had bad business dealings, and um, we yeah, some of the daughters feel like that the uncle or brother are kind of behind their disappearance and because they think he's part of the mob, and that the family at one point was part of the mob, and then maybe because uh, she made a stink about the inheritance because she didn't get her inheritance that she like caused trouble and they needed to eliminate her so like it's really interesting because there's there's not a lot of there's not a lot of strong evidence that she killed herself but yet the police have they didn't look for anything else they just they the just tie into that should be that we know the uncle is oh, part the, of the police no it was her so cousin her cousin, cousin, cousin yeah, yeah. So, it's an interesting story. Uh, it's a little creepy on its own in terms of, like, everything that happened and when we finally found her and whatnot. Like, yeah, that was, a- I think... It's hard because I, I actually... I love the Washington insider murder because I'm like, Hillary did it! But then I liked this one because I was like, it's the mob! It yeah. was a mob hit! <laughs> Alright, let's get back into some music. Kicking off our next block, provided by uh, Arn the Pit and Vlad. Is Eternal Winter the Curse of the Baron Singer?
This is Sky Nielsen Promotions. I offer the most affordable, effective, independent metal promotions one can find. If you've got a metal band, project, or art that you want promoted, simply search for Sky Nielsen Promotions. And you're listening to Hordes of Chaos on Metal Tavern Radio. She's in love with herself. Yeah. That's us, Hordes of Chaos. Metal Tavern Radio, DJ Nilis and DJ Neko, your hosts. We're awesome. <laughs> That's our final topic of the day. We actually just watched this documentary, but it came out in 2018, and I remember when all this was happening. Documentary we're talking about is Roll Red Roll. It was a uh, a documentary about a high school in Steubenville, Ohio, where a young teenage girl who was only 16 woke up one morning and she had no clothes on. She couldn't find her phone. She didn't really know where she was. And she had been out partying the night before and clearly was incapacitated yet and passed out. Yeah, and I think that she definitely felt the after effects of what went on because she obviously was wondering what had happened and who it did what to her. And then, of course, the issue is is that there was some guys for a football team there locally that... It's a small town, and the football team is like Varsity Blues. Yeah. It's, it's like treated their gods. So they raped the girl when she was really blasted with alcohol. and She actually... Because th- she didn't go immediately to the doctor or to the police. She actually thought maybe... She was roofied, but again, they didn't do any kind of toxicology on her. And it all kind of started out with people victim shaming. Like, literally saying she's a whore, she shouldn't be putting herself in those positions. Yeah, yeah, you actually see, like, footage of a couple of young teenage girls who are being interviewed and they're starting off by saying, well, yeah, you know, it's bad, but... I think she has to be more aware of where she is and, you know, how much she's drinking. And, of course, as the doc is going on, and when they find out more and more about these guys and how they behaved and what they were saying, these girls, their opinions and viewpoints change drastically from, oh, yeah, she should have just been more accountable and aware to, like, oh, yeah, I can understand when I put myself in her shoes where she was at. And it was interesting because these are teenagers, so... Their life, and this 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 crime occurred back in 2012. So this is the height of social media. Like people, I feel like social media. There's just so many of them now. Like, and it's like, what's hot? What's not? What's hot? Every, I feel like every other year, it's like, well, one year it's Facebook is hot, and one year it's Instagram, and one year it's Snap. I don't even know anybody who Snapchats anymore. And, I, and these, I'm talking about younger people that. Like, cause I teach dance, um, and I don't yeah. even, I don't I think even, TikTok. Yeah, the, the TikTok thing. is the the big one right now, and um, so this is back in 2012, and it, Twitter was at the time what the kids the kids were using, and Facebook too, but they uh, there was this crime blogger, and she she this caught her eye when she was reading just the very simple story about it like 
you know, Steubenville, Ohio, blah, blah, blah. Well, basically, she was just starting to do some research. Exactly. She wanted to dig deeper because she's like, this doesn't sound like cut and dry. So she started kind of following the timeline of all these kids, which it's all public, and they're putting it all out on their Facebook, which is not private, or their Twitter, which is not private, or marked for friends only. And there are people making some very, like, tonight. tonight's a... Uh, song is rape me you know or they're like oh that girl just got raped and like yeah it's it's very weird when you see how these boys reacted to what they had done and even those around them who were just not even personally involved but personally were friends with these guys you know they were going to after parties making jokes and recording themselves laughing about this and they they actually use the term like yeah she's so raped right now and at one point one guy says yeah you know she's getting a, a penis up the butt and she's not moving you know they they all acknowledged that she was like totally blacked out and they still did this and and the interesting thing though too is you know they're all in the football team and they're all kind of at first minimizing what was happening and they were saying you know you know she was at party number one and then she went to party number two which a lot of people did but at party number two is when she really hit her level of intoxication and apparently had to go outside and vomit and proceed to vomit now there was another girl that they in the police interviewed and she knew this girl but they weren't like close friends and the girl was kind of like, don't go with these guys, come home with us, or go home with your friends, like, don't go with these guys, and, you know, she could hardly walk, and at one point they show a picture that somebody had taken of two people with, carrying her with, by her arms and legs, because she couldn't walk, but then the boys who were saying that she went to party number three did on her own volition because she walked to the car and... Yeah, their stories changed a lot. Like, they told the coach and the authorities one thing, but then as more and more tweets came out, more and more pictures came out because, you know, these guys... It, they're kids. That's what do you think high schoolers do. They're, they're taking well, pictures. It, they're... It's just they're stupid. Like, mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the funny thing is, like, as much as we don't like social media and some of the things that it does to our everyday lives, this is one of those cases where had it not been there through their own stupidity, that girl would have never gotten justice for it. So, mm -hmm. like, And then on top of that, Anonymous kind of got noticed. The hacker group. Uh, yeah, the hacker group Anonymous got notice of this case, and they figured out how to hack somebody's phone on their Apple account and found a video of... It wasn't the person who actually Did the hurt raping. the girl, but they were all drunk and laughing about the girl who's passed out and that they're putting their penis in her butt and they're ejaculating on her and it just... Yeah, you found out that there's a couple boys in there, this one with the video, but they were basically at first telling the cops, oh yeah, we didn't really agree with this, and we were kind of mad, and then you find out that they're on this video laughing about it and joking, and I think one of them was even filming it. So it's like, they got caught, and 
you know, they couldn't do much to the guys that did all the recording and joking that that because that, that itself because they a they literally they said it's it's tasteless and it's tacky, but they didn't do anything. The actual crime. Yeah, they didn't do the crime, and even though they didn't they didn't lie to the police, they just. The funny thing is, one of the guys, the main one, Trey, I think his name was, um, mm-hmm. he, I think deep down he knew, like, what they had done was wrong because he didn't want these guys, like, sharing that stuff or telling people about it. Like, he was like, you you didn't tell anybody else, right? So, like, even though he, in his mind, he was telling himself he did nothing wrong, the reality is he knew that he was skating on thin ice. And when it all came blown up, they... Obviously, took him to court, and they faced their own, uh, you know, punishment for that. Uh, because they were young, I don't think either one served more than two years in juvenile in, in detention. In juvenile detention, and because they were juveniles, they really didn't have to... They were able to get their sex offender um, registration expunged. I don't know if it's expunged, right, but they didn't have to register yeah. after a certain time. And then they both... Malik and and Trey ended up going to college, and when people found out that they were the they were from um, who they were, who they were, and what happened, there was like a big outrage. Now, Malik, I feel like he was kind of peer pressured into doing a lot of things. I know that sounds you should never be peer pressured into to you know sexually assaulting anybody, but I. I feel like, because he, he wasn't even in the limelight. He it, it just, like, somebody said that he touched her in well, a... He, it, he it, put it, a he, finger Yeah, up. somebody... But see, I don't even know, like, they just kind of threw his name around. But then with with uh, Trey, they have all kinds of people being, like, traded it, traded it, traded it. They have evidence. They have everything. And so... In the end, it was kind of like, years later down the road, uh, Malik's father ended up going to the courthouse, firing a gun at uh, one of the judges, and the judge had his gun too, and fired back at Malik's dad, and Malik's dad uh, passed away because he was, uh, you know, trying to kill a judge. And then also, Trey, he has also been brought up on further sexual assault charges. Yeah, his, his story hasn't even ended because he's still doing crazy shit. And, and then there was another uh, Jane Doe that they kind of brought up. This all happened in, like, July or August, the summer before the football season started, but then there was another girl at the high school who brought up, like, hey, previous to this, this happened to me and they all kind of like brushed it under the rug it was just the other girl's mother actually pursued it harder as an actual like case yeah but it's as you said it's got that whole varsity blues thing where these kids are put on these little pedestals these players and then what you told me uh, the other night was there was actually an incident before this one that the uh, school officials knew about and they ignored it. Mm-hmm. So then, really, basically, when all this shit went down, like, I think, who'd you say, the 
the super school superintendent because she he was notified about both instances and he said we are following our protocol for um investigating in quote unquote investigating and basically i think when it was brought to his attention he just kind of was like you know we're just going to keep this quiet because this is this this town they they, they the town lives off of that team so and that's basically. and that's how the like the school gets money because this this football team is a good team right. and like that's why they're just like Shh. it's all they have it's just such a small town that that, that that's their big attraction the this kids and they'll go through you know limb and limb trying to like protect these kids any way they can but the problem is they sacrifice the integrity and stuff like what goes on with this girl in order to do that like there's criminal acts that these kids do is just not good and the, the sad thing is these kids they're they're the big fish in a small pond basically and they're for the four years that they're on this football team, they're treated like their shit doesn't stink. And you can see that. You can see how, like, actual adults kind of were covering up for them. Well, this is what always happens. And we see it even at, you know, even going from college to the pros. Like, you know, when you're a college team and you're trying to recruit these guys, you're willing to bend over backwards. That's why a lot of these college schools get in trouble because... You know, you think of shows like, or movies like Blue Chips or something like that where you hear about these horror stories um, where these schools are like paying players to come to school and play for them. That, that's all part of it. You're, you're enabling them to do these things because you're like, oh, well, we really want this. We want the school to get this money for our success. And, you know, every time these schools do this shit and get caught, they end up getting penalized. And it's like... Really, a lot of times they don't learn because they're still doing it. Like yeah, and and they 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 rely on alumni and boosters because they'll they'll do anything because sometimes again these college towns and these high school towns that's all they have. They don't have any other like sports entertainment. And that's what we see at the high school level. It's like it's like a grooming area mm-hmm. for them. So it's like. Well, yeah, you know, you're coming from Florida, and, you know, this guy, our quarterback, he's pretty good. He's got some things happening personally, but uh, we'll keep that under wraps, you know. We'll make sure that he's ready to go to Florida. And that, and that's the kind of bullshit that you see, That, but we can't really as a society accept that because it's, it's coming at a great consequence to people around them. Well, you saw they were interviewing a few of the, um, the former players, and, you know, they were... And again, not to jump back on Varsity Blues, but like you heard them kind of saying and, and acknowledging that these are the best times of my life. Or the one guy who was a baker, he he was like, I you know we I take the rape word very seriously, but I can tell you one thing: when you were on the football team, you had a lot of women throwing themselves at you, and like these kids get used to that, right? And again, this is I'm not saying rape is good, but like they start feeling like they can take advantage and do whatever mm-hmm. they want because they're treated like they can do whatever yeah, they want have, without consequence. If you have four girls who are going to jump into a car with you and throw their clothes off for you. 
and then you find one girl you think is really cute and she's not willing to do that, you say to yourself, look, these other girls do this. Come on, don't, don't be a prude. And part, and part of the problem is, too, like, there's a big difference between two teenagers who are at a party, like, holding hands and, and kissing and stuff, and what happened to this girl. That I think that Trey thought that he could get away with be- right. because they well, were was, making out at the party. She probably just... did like him, and but, you know, once she got plastered and then took advantage of that, that, you know, that's... They basically took advantage of her when she was passed out from from drinking, which is completely... And the the worst part about it is they'd already planned it all out. Like, apparently, the minute she started really getting trashed, uh, they were tweeting each other saying, yeah, you know, we're going to hit this later, you know. Yeah, we're going to do a train on her. Yeah, it's ugly, ugly stuff. And you, you can't imagine, like, if that was your daughter or your son saying that like it's very important to a yes take rape seriously but b also if you are a parent of a son who is being accused of rape you need to make sure that he did not do it and when it's so blatant and they're putting it out on social media like and sort of like unlike what I said with Bridget and how, you know, she says something wrong and the media kind of goes after her. This was quite a reversal. Like, just like the school system and the parents, the local media did not want to, like, treat this as seriously as it normally would. So when this blogger is reaching out to other news sources or when anonymous gets involved, uh, it all of a sudden becomes a bigger story, which is what you wanted. But it just shows you that as a small little town and with everything that's going on with how important the, the high school is to everybody like even the local media didn't want it to become a big story they just wanted to keep it under hush hush so they were doing a disservice to this girl by not doing their own digging their own research and the interesting thing too is you know once anonymous got involved and there was like this for a tiny town there was a big rally with like a thousand people in front of the courthouse and there were all these women who were coming forward saying I was raped as as a teenager and at that same at school, that yeah. same like area so it's something that I think that has been kind of pushed to the side for so long and honestly I I understand because some people in the town were like a little outraged because it's such a small town uh, and they're like this shit happens all over but yes it does however you just happen to like hit the limelight because anonymous posted that video that went viral yep all right well let's get back in our music uh, in this block i've got a track by Slowfall provided by inverse records cyrox provided by vlad kicking it off to with some brand new Aphonic Threnody, The Fall, and we'll be back.
listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Come get it. Get lit. Yeah, and John too. <laughs>
The troops of doom. Woo Whispering dead words. Coming from our new release. Definitely taken after the Sepultura song, Troops of Doom. They do a couple of Sepultura covers on that. So they're uh, heavily influenced, you believe, by Sepultura? Yeah, I think it's kind of obvious. You think it's kind of, you know, yeah. Just obvious. I, um, I did like that song a lot, actually. I was, uh... It's got the whole death thrashy thing going. I was zipping around doing some laundry and you had it cranking. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, bitches. Not too shabby. Want to thank you all for tuning in for this episode. Hope, hope you all enjoyed it. We enjoyed giving it to you. Yeah, we did. I love giving it to people, don't you? <laughs> giving it giving it to them. I love Just giving, giving it. it to them. I give it to them hard. <laughs> the facts. I wanted to work in the science of lamb there, but... <laughs> Would you fuck me? I'd, I'd fuck, fuck me. I'd fuck me. <laughs> and uh, you don't know, one of DJ Neko's favoritest songs is, or excuse me, movies, Christ, <laughs> uh, is Silence Goodbye, of the Lamb. Horse. That's also one of my favorite songs, too. But I do, I love that damn movie. And, you know, I tell people that and they're like, hmm, what is wrong with her? And I'm like, it's so good. So good. So good. Just so good. So what are we closing out with this week, DJ Anubis? New stuff by Rectify. Space Urchin. Thanks for tuning in this week. And uh, again, if you have any questions, queries, or comments, please do hit us up on Facebook. Yep. Yeah, we, we like feedback, but if you don't, that's okay, too. Hopefully you're enjoying the shit. And we're just going to do whatever we want. Anyway, so there. Yeah, yeah, it's ours. We get to do it. We get to choose. <laughs> all right, all. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy. Peace out, motherfuckers. Bye-bye.